I don't usually do a crazy introduction either. I'm a very informal human being, Adrian. No, you're fine. Suits me beautifully, Damien, no problem. Easy. So today on the Finance and Property Survival Guide, I'm joined by a man from the Real Estate Institute of Australia, and we'll obviously go into what that is, but his name is Adrian Kelly. How are you, sir? G'day, Damien. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I really appreciate the time. Like we said off air, you guys are pretty busy with submissions to all sorts of different things going on in the government side of uh, housing unaffordability, as you said. So I appreciate the time very much. It means a lot to get people on to talk. So I appreciate that. This these sorts of podcasts are much more fun than government policy, I can assure you. <laughs> I imagine so. I thought we could start with, if you could give the listeners a brief introduction, I guess, of who you are, uh, maybe a little bit about what the, the Institute is and, and sort of what, what that role plays in the industry uh, as a whole. Sure. So I wear two hats. So in my Institute hat, I'm the president of the Real Estate Institute of Australia. So that's the national body. There's also obviously a real estate institute in each state and territory. And, and so we're the overarching uh, body, if you like, which sits on top of those state-based institutes. So it's a federated model, a bit like how state and federal governments work. Right. Um, and so the REIA, as we call it, is based in Canberra. And we have a building there, which is not far from Parliament House because an awful lot of the work that we do is around government policy um, governments want to know what we think about policy and how it relates to housing, how it relates to buyers, how it relates to people selling, tenants as well. Mm. Um, so we spend a lot of time doing submissions and chatting to bureaucrats and all of that sort of thing. And obviously, we've been doing a lot of work at the moment on housing affordability or lack thereof in, in most parts of Australia and a few other pretty dry topics like money laundering and all of those things um, which go on in real estate circles. So. That's the institute job. And then in my other hat, I'm a real estate agent myself and I have been since I was 19. Um, so I live in Hobart in Tassie um, and I live on, live on a little hobby farm about half an hour south of Hobart. So mm. quite different to your normal real estate agent. I've got seven uh, offices dotted around Tasmania, which deal in both sales and, and looking after our tenants in our rental properties. Yeah, okay. Tasmania is a lovely part of the world too. You know what, Damien, it wasn't that long ago that everybody used to think that Tasmania was a backwater. Mm. Um, and I remember when I finished school, you know, all my friends moved away from Tasmania, went to, you know, Melbourne, Sydney, Canberra, Brisbane, disappeared. And even my brothers and sisters did the same thing. They all vanished because there wasn't much going on down here. But now we've come full circle and um, everybody wants a piece of Tasmania. We're, mm. we're selling property sight unseen to people from over your way on the big island. Um, and lots and lots of expat Australians who are moving back home from overseas. And um, it, it's fair to say that um, demand is well and truly outstripping supply now. And I suppose that's what happens when you have clean air, good food, uh, mm. good wine, um, yeah, yeah. good farms. Um, everybody wants to come down here. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out when we get yeah. through this pandemic, oh, for I guess. Sure. Yeah, when I, I was a little kid when we visited Tasmania and we drove all around uh, Devonport was a highlight. I remember that place really well. Port Arthur sort of messed me up as a small kid because my parents thought it was a good idea to take me on a ghost tour. That was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Port Arthur's come a long way, Damien. You'll be yeah, fine now. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd be okay now. I'm 20. I'm nearly 25. So hopefully I'll handle myself better this way. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I sort of sure. wondered too, when you started in real estate at 19, was 
was the trend like actually so if you started at 19 how old were you if you don't mind me asking when you started working within the institute oh good question um started selling when i was 19 i probably started doing some work with the real estate institute of tasmania when i was maybe 30-ish okay yeah, okay. Something like that, because you need to get a few years under your belt and to actually understand what real estate's about. Mm. I had no idea what real estate was about when I was 19. Right. And back in those days, um, when you joined a real estate company, they'd sit you at a desk and say, okay, well, here's your phone and here's your business cards, now go and sell some real estate. So there was not a lot of training that went on, and obviously it's very different these days and very regulated as well. So, But then the institute work comes from wanting to be able to give a bit back to the industry. And the beauty about the Institute work is that you actually get to have a say in how the industry works and mm. being able to influence pieces of policy here and there and, and making the real estate world a better place for, for other people who decide to come and join it. So because it's a, it's a great industry, it's a lot of fun, lots of freedom. Yeah. Certainly not nine to five. It's after hours and it's out there on Saturdays doing open homes, which I'm yeah. still doing, still out there on the tools. but. Mm. You do get a lot of freedom during the week and, and your earning ability is not capped either, unlike a normal fixed salary type job. So, mm. so you can sort in that, of in that regard, yeah, in that regard, it doesn't suit everybody, um, but it certainly works for me. Was that sort of a transition that you expected when you started or getting started in real estate? Were you sort of not sure what you were going to make of that? You weren't sure if you were going to turn it into joining the Institute and then now becoming a president of that something you planned from the beginning or you it just sort of fell in your lap no no i was halfway through university doing a teaching degree and hating it mm. when i was a kid and then someone said well why don't you go and do real estate and i said oh yeah whatever go and do mm. real estate for a while and the rest is history but um and um, most most people who progress from being a normal salesperson to being a business owner um, and having employees and now like i do i've got close to 40-odd employees down here in Tassie, um, you really do get to the point where you want to do something more than just list and sell real estate or, right. or you know, put tenants into properties. So, and so for most business owners who are worth their salt, um, moving into some sort of institute role is pretty much a natural progression in terms of giving back. You said when you started at 19, you didn't have any idea what real estate was about. And I'm a more, I'm a trainee mortgage broker. I'm sort of earning my earning, uh, earning my stripes on that side of the industry. And I don't, when, when you saying that, I can't really define what a real estate agent might be for me. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by what maybe what you thought it was to be a real estate agent compared to how you see it now? Well, I always thought all a real estate agent had to do was to do open homes. Um, you might write a few ads for the local real estate guy because um, there was no internet back then, showing my age now. Um, and, um, and then you do a, a couple of contracts here and there and the place was sold and that was it. Um, but I've since learned that real estate is a whole lot more than that because there's significant amounts of money involved. And, um, and obviously I've learned that real estate is a, is a, long-term, is a long-term plan. Um, and it's not until you start to get a bit older that you start to realise that, A, it's important to have a roof over your head, um, but, B, it's also important to have multiple income sources as well. Um, 
So yeah, I went from just being a normal bog standard real estate salesperson to actually someone who understood um, more about the way real estate works as an investment, at least in Australia anyway. So. The big part of like the, the basis of this podcast is me trying to get as many people's advice from within the industry about what they would do if they could go back to their younger self and talk to that person. Because I think hindsight is a really important thing. And a lot of young people make the mistake of not asking for advice from the older generations who you can learn from their mistakes and avoid them completely, right? So that's sort of the basis of what I'm trying to do with this. And so your answer can be on property. It can be about investing. It can also just be about life. It's however you want to do it. If you could go back to your 24, your 18-year-old self and sit that that Adrian down and assume that he wanted to listen to you because that that also will have an effect, what, what do you think you would tell that person? One thing I would have told a younger Adrian is to buy that very first property as soon as you possibly can, mm. even if you don't live in it yourself. So buy it as an investment property, as a rental. Now, that's easy to say. <clears throat> especially here we are in 2021 where affordability is at the lowest point that it's ever been um, for the last 30 odd years, Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't plan for it. And, you know, I wish that back when I was 19, others had have pushed me harder to buy that first property way back then. Um, And also on top of that, I should have been pushed harder to start putting regular amounts into superannuation at the same time because mm. it's interesting now. I meet I meet a lot of people who who buy and sell property, and quite regularly we meet you know mid forty sort of year olds, so people around my age who have never actually bought a property. Um, they have a healthy superannuation balance, um, but they've never bought a property because they've had good jobs, been pretty pretty transient, moving around Australia. Um, working in other countries so they've just been renting um, rather than buying real estate so while they've got a very healthy super balance they've got nowhere to live Mm. and the trouble is if you don't invest in real estate early um, prices inevitably get away from you Mm. now when you're 19 years old you might not care about that too much you might think well i've got plenty of time i've got plenty of years to get sorted believe you me the years tick away pretty quickly damien so um so that that would be the one thing that i would do get that first rental property um, and it doesn't matter what it is or where it is, even if it's really cheap and a bit run down, just get into it because mm. once you're on the ladder, um, um, life will be a whole lot easier down the track, that's for sure. This might be something that's got too many bells and whistles to sort of break down. But I, I even with my dad, who's I work underneath as a mortgage broker, we sort of don't, we come to a disagreement about the chicken or the egg of how we got to this point of housing becoming so hard to afford. What would be the layman's explanation you would give to someone who doesn't know a lot about the industry or how housing works as like the reasons why we're at this point where the government is, is conducting an inquiry into how unaffordable housing has become? Uh. Well, the first thing is um, stop listening to the media and, <laughs> and stop listening or watching um, uh, auction TV shows and renovation shows and all that sort of stuff because they're all made for television and they're not made for real life. And um, the media will bang on whatever they want to bang on about 
in order to get um, eyes and ears um, listening to their radio stations or mm. watching their television shows. Um, so that's the first thing. And, and the thing is, Damien, we've got, we've got over a thousand different real estate markets here in Australia, and they all operate in different ways for different reasons. Um, whereas the media tends to talk about Melbourne and Sydney a lot, um, but what's happening in other areas can be quite different. I mean, trouble is, you know, we've got 60-odd percent of the total value of Australian real estate tied up in Melbourne and Sydney. So if something happens in those two cities, then it, it has an impact on other parts of the country. Mm. Um, but just on housing unaffordability at the moment, um, it'll probably start to correct itself. Um, it's proven a couple of things, though, the current market conditions. Firstly, um, we don't have a plan for real estate in Australia. And everyone deserves to have a roof over their head, whether you're a tenant or an owner-occupier, whatever the case may be. Mm. Everyone should have somewhere to live. And at the moment, we don't have that in Australia. It's, it, it, it's nonsense when we're doing a 15-minute open home on a rental property and we have 50 people turn up wanting to inspect it. That's just crazy. So we don't have a plan for real estate, and that's one of the things we're working with the federal government on to make a start. You know, a plan that's federal government, flows down to state government, flows down to local councils, mm. deals with planning. And until we get that sort of plan in place, we're just going to keep ebbing and flowing and, you know, and seeing the sort of things that we're seeing where essentially, you know, young Australians are priced, are priced out of the market completely, not just buying their own home, but also renting their own home as well. Um, but the, the other big thing about housing affordability at the moment is this problem, uh, which we call supply. And when I say supply, it's, it's two things that have happened. So firstly, over the last 20 years, we haven't been building enough homes in Australia for people to live in. And now that's caught up with us. Um, so try getting a builder anywhere at the moment to do a renovation or, and it's been well publicised, you know, even getting timber framing for building new homes is problematic at the moment. But the second problem, and, and this is the big one for us, is that there's a very large volume of people who would normally put their property on the market now, you know, springtime, coming into summertime, um, and they're sitting tight and they're not doing it. And that's because of uncertainty around the pandemic, um, particularly older Australians living in large family homes. Um, so not only are they unsure about making that, that move at the moment, but they also know that it will be very, very difficult to buy something once they sell. And that's a difficult thing for an older Australian to get their head around. And, and the problem is that the way real estate works is that we have a domino effect every time a first home buyer or a young Australian buys a home because they, they kick off a cycle every time they do that. So a first home buyer buys, the people who sold that home, probably upsizing, they might have had a child or two by that point, so they'll buy another house. Those people who sell buy another house. So every time a first-home buyer buys, we could end up with another two, three, four, five, six transactions which occur. And at the moment, those transactions aren't happening. So we've got very low supply, massive demand um, everywhere. Mm. Um, so simple economics is coming into play. And that's, that's why prices are rising or have risen a good 20%, even, even a bit more in the last 12 months. So, yeah, sorry, Damien, that was a bit of a sermon, but that's, that's what's happening out there at the moment. So will it correct itself next year as we come through the pandemic? Hope so. <laughs> mm. um, we don't really, 
you know, there's nothing worse for people like me as a real estate agent um, for every property that we sell, we could sell it 10 times over. So we have one happy seller, one happy buyer, and then I've got to make nine phone calls to, to, to nine other really upset people who have missed out. And these are people that have already missed out on two, three, four properties anyway. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's not a space we want to work in. Mm. We much prefer a much more balanced market where we have one happy seller, one happy buyer, and one happy real estate agent in the middle, mm. like the old days. And on the, on the rental side of things, I can sort of attest to this. Getting a rental in Melbourne was quite easy. I inspected a place at 10 a.m. that I loved, closed on it at 3 p.m. the same day because it's just that there's just not enough demand for a lot of the rentals in Melbourne. And that is showing signs of starting to make a recovery, but it's still in the early days, right? Because all the international students left Melbourne or they, they all left Sydney, but then in every other part of the country right now, there's vacancy rate levels where there are people have to move from suburbs that they've lived in and rented in for five, 10 years because there's no more places or they're being priced out, right? Yep. Yeah, if, if you want to rent an apartment in Melbourne or Sydney at the moment, do it now um, because there's thousands to choose from. And like yes. you say, overseas students aren't here. Um, last year, as you're aware, we had non-eviction periods put in place for tenants who, who may have lost employment or suffered some employment issues. Um, uh, you, you know, a lot of those tenants um, were able to move out of their apartment without penalty, and rightly so, in the middle mm -hmm. of a pandemic. They moved back in with mum and dad. Um, they moved in with friends, you know, sharing apartments. So there's thousands of them sitting there vacant at the moment. Um, but as borders reopen, overseas students come back, international migration returns next year, which is on the cards. Uh, tourism starts to explode again, you know, short-term accommodation, that sort of thing. Yeah. And most of those apartments will be soaked back up again next year. So, so my advice would be if you want to go, go now. So, so yeah. Selfishly, selfishly yep. I'm hoping that my, uh, the international students that sort of are more, the demographics and the countries that are usually more commonly populating the cities, Melbourne, I'm talking in particular, I'm hoping those borders don't open up until after June next year, because that's when I've already renewed my lease. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. You're, you're right on the money. Yeah. But it's interesting what you talk about. It's really only apartments in Melbourne and Sydney yeah. where the supply is, is outstripping demand. Everywhere else in Australia, particularly in regional parts of Australia now, it's just... You know, good luck trying to buy something and good luck trying to rent something. And it's mm -hmm. that whole thing about having not been building enough homes to start with, but then, then COVID came along and everyone, all of a sudden, we realised that we can work from home. Yeah. You know, we didn't break the NBN last year. Um, everything worked pretty well. So, and, and the regions were still pretty affordable rather than compared with buying something in Melbourne or Sydney, you know. Mm. So um, it's... It's, it's been really interesting to watch because that's, that move to the regions was something which we were seeing um, before, before COVID came along and then COVID just tipped it over the edge and exacerbated right. the problem massively. So um, but it's going to take some time to get, to get some balance back into those markets as well. And do you see, if, if we get to a point in the future where there's a, a concentrated effort to build up more housing, and it's going to take some time, obviously, because it's been something you've said hasn't, we haven't been building enough housing for 20 years. 
So it's going to take a bit of time to make up that that loss, I'm sure. Do you see that not only more people can get into the housing market to purchase a home, do you see that affecting the rental issues we're seeing right now as well? Yep, it'll fix both. Yeah, mm. and Damien, you and I both know that the first way to fix a problem is to acknowledge that you have one at the very beginning, anyway. Yeah. And okay, so we can tick that box. We know we've got a problem, so yeah. and we know how to fix it. Um, um, but you're right; it's going to take a few years to do that. Um, but that's just the way it is. You know, um, you can't you can't magically um, build thousands and thousands of homes overnight. It doesn't work like that. So, um, but you know what, like. Um, it's not just building the homes as well. It's it's releasing more land to be able to build those homes on. And I know that state governments are working pretty hard to identify parcels of public land which can be turned into subdivisions, um, which builders can then build build more homes on. So, if everybody does everything that they should be doing um, and keep heading in, in the in the right direction, I think we'll get there. Um, but you know, as I said before, it took us a twenty year slide to get to this point. Mm. Hopefully it doesn't take us 20 years to get back out of it again. I don't, I don't yeah. think it will, but, um, but it will unlock a lot more property for first-home buyers and it will unlock a lot more property for people who want to buy their first investment property, which is then good for tenants um, because they'll have a lot more choice at much more affordable rents. So. Mm. And I'm, I'm definitely keen to see how it all fold, uh, unfolds because obviously if we bring back international students if we bring back the board if we open up the borders for migrants as well in an environment where we already have an undersupply of housing for the people that are already here we are now going to add to that and I, I i don't think we should keep the borders closed i think we probably need the economic boost but it's going to be interesting because you're you're sort of adding fuel to the fire that we've <laughs> we've been messing up for a little bit right I'm sitting here nodding my head. It's going to be such a balancing act because yeah. we need overseas students and what they bring to Australia. We need overseas investment in Australia. You know, we, we need skilled migrants coming to Australia because they contribute economically as well. But but everybody needs somewhere to live, don't they? So you know, it's it, it's not an easy job, but you know, we've done it before and we'll do it again. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Last thing I wanted to talk to you about was just about the investment side of things. So. You, you're talking about how you wish you could go back and buy that first property when you were a young man. It, was investing something that was introduced to you as a young person or was it through your parents or was it something you came across down the line? Well, strangely enough, my father was a director of one of the very first superannuation funds that was, that was established in Australia. Right. Um, so he was talking a lot about investing in super, whereas I was talking a lot about investing in real estate. So we had some very interesting conversations around the dinner table. But yeah. um, and so I suppose in that respect, I was introduced to it early. Plus, even though I was only a young, a young kid working in real estate, I was meeting other people who were much older and much wiser than I was who were investing in property. And it, it, it soon dawned on me that um, real estate, for me personally, um, was better than... Um, say buying something else like shares or, or um, even crypto as we have it today, um, and and it's been proven to me many times over that whilst some forms of shares or crypto um, you may get better returns in a short term or not, uh, real estate has proven that um, you'll have much better capital growth over the longer term. And the thing I love about real estate is you can actually touch it. 
You know, I've got a nice little unit which I own as an investment property, which is on the waterfront here in Hobart, and I can I can drive past it every day if I want to and just see it sitting there doing its thing. There's a great tenant living in there, so that solves a problem for someone else who needs a roof over their head. So, so I'm not sure whether that's answered your question, Damien, but um, um, yeah, I suppose I was lucky. I had some good people around me giving me some half decent advice. Yeah, yeah. As long as it's at least half decent, you're probably on the right track. I'll, I'll take half decent. Do. <laughs> glass half full rather than glass half empty. 100%. Well, that's about all I had for you, Adrian. I wondered if if people wanted to learn more about the uh, the Institute or maybe they're interested in getting into the industry, um, how would they go about learning more? Oh, just jump on our website. We're easy to yeah. find. Facebook, Insta, all the usual. So yeah. um, we may not be as up with it as some of your listeners, Damien, but we, I think, we, I think we're pretty close. Yeah, but just, no, look, just in closing, just in closing, I just want to say that um, um, I, I really do feel for and appreciate the issues that, that young people are having at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. people who have saved very hard to get their deposit, and you know, let alone being able to pay for the stamp duty at the same time, and then all of a sudden prices are just getting away from them. Um, don't despair because it will correct itself. That's how real estate markets work. They sort of go up and they come back down. They go up and they come back down. So you've just got to sit tight till your time comes. So, but mm. and I, and I know that wages haven't kept up with property prices. Yeah. And we, we all know that. Um, but, um, yeah, just keep saving as much as you can. Just keep saving. So. Mm, hold mm. the course. Yeah, yep. I, I appreciate that, though. It's hard sometimes. A lot of, a lot of young people, like not so much myself because – I've, I've looked into other ways I can try and invest and at least build up a bit of money in portfolios for the time, for when the time comes that I can get into the market. But a lot of people my age, especially some of my friends, it does feel like a very uphill battle uh, where we're going to inherit something we didn't particularly want or need. So I'm hoping that this inquiry into housing affordability leads to something good. Um, I'm trying to be optimistic Oh, look, I'm sure it will, because yeah. like I said earlier, Damien, everybody now acknowledges that we have a problem, so now we can get on with fixing it. And yeah. Yeah, the sooner the better. Yeah, 100%. Well, I, sp- I thank you very much for the time, sir. It was really awesome. We'll have to do it again. Nice to have a chat, Damien. Yeah, good on you. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Adrian. <laughs>